Welcome to the Generation Hustle podcast, a show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship, and culture, all centered around the millennial. I'm your co-host, Sheriston, alongside my good friend, Amin, and today we speak with Akosia Asare, founder and CEO of Essence Lux Couture. At the age of 21, Akosia developed alopecia, a condition where the immune system attacks hair follicles, which leads to hair loss. The damage was so severe that she was forced to shave her head entirely. Around this time is when she realized the huge disconnect faced by similar individuals. There was not a lot of options for the average wig consumer. Custom wigs are extremely expensive and limited to standard styles, colors, and head sizes. And on top of that, there was no quote-unquote trying on process, so to speak. So Kosia channeled her experience into an opportunity. Essence Lux Couture takes ethically sourced hair from Cambodia through an arduous month-long process to create handmade luxury wigs. The company mission is to help those who suffer from hair loss while breaking down the traditional barriers to entry for minorities in the beauty industry. Today, the company creates custom wigs based on your specifications and is looking to expand this function with proprietary AI technology. The end goal is to create an immersive experience in which you can virtually try on wigs of all shapes and colors, all from the comfort of your home. We talked to Akosia about her journey building the company, her experience as a female black founder in the tech space, and the future capabilities of artificial intelligence in the beauty industry. Beauty advice is not exactly my forte, so I'm going to let Akosia take it from here. We also want to give a special shout out to today's sponsor, Podcorn. So let me ask you this, you're a growing brand looking to partner with other companies to help scale your business, or you're like us, a podcast looking to brands to partner with. Like many business founders, you find it extremely difficult to find these opportunities. Well, that was their case originally for the Generation Hustle podcast before we started using Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all size can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly with no exclusivities. This opens up the opportunity for you as a business or a podcast to scale much faster. So what are you waiting for? Check out podcorn.com to start growing. Thank you so much for being on here. Uh, We're super excited for this and and we're honored to hear about your company. Um, I came across uh, your story through an article through Shulik. Um, they had posted about your company, and I was like, "This is super interesting. I wanna, I wanna understand AI and beauty industry." So, thank you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my pleasure, and thank you. <laughs> so, I'm gonna start off just kind of like with your general story of understanding where you came up with the idea and how you came up with Essence Essence Lux Couture. Um, so, maybe you can walk us through like the early stages of how you came to finding the company. Yeah. So. Um... I was in high school and um, I started losing my hair. And um, it was, I mean, I, I'm sure you can imagine how challenging it would have been, especially being, um, I mean, I think regardless of your gender, it would be challenging um, at such a young age, but sure. um, even more so um, in my case. And uh, just my entire experience with wigs was just, fairly negative. Um, I found the wig shop attendants were very uh, impersonal. Um, The wigs made me look ridiculous. Um, They were very unnatural. Um, And even when I thought that I had invested, you know, found a good one, it didn't last very long, just a couple months. So I I did this for a couple years. um, And I was just like, how is it that, you know, you have these celebrities that wear wigs all the time so openly and like you know the average consumer can't get anything better (laughs) right so that's why i set out to um make something uh that was so high caliber as a celebrity wig um one that's extremely natural you know usually custom fit to the celebrity um whichever one um more uh, attainable for the average consumer Um, and you know, the idea for application, um, just as soon as I thought of the company and I'm like, I want to start it, I started, you know, within a couple months, I'm like, you know, having a great product alone doesn't actually solve all the problems that most of the consumers have. They didn't even solve the problems that I had, you know, 
Um, so I needed to look beyond just a product and see how I could provide an end-to-end -end solution. For sure. Yeah, I, I like that so much. So in like, I just want to go back to one point that you made there. So in terms of in terms of wig shopping, what what was it that kind of held you back in that in that in that area and that you wanted to solve? Like, what do you do differently um, that you found was was a problem in the industry itself? Yeah, so a couple things. The first is um, they have a very narrow selection of styles and colors and lengths and and so on and. And a lot of them just didn't fit me and I didn't have a choice for anything that did suit my face, you know, um, maybe it would suit my neckline or my, uh, you know, jawbone, whatever. Right. <laughs> there are specific features that we have when they're so different. Everyone looks different, you know, so yeah. to have a standardized style, I mean, even worse, they had standardized sizes which it's mind blowing actually, because we have two, such different heads. So that's yeah. one thing. Another thing was the, um, the education process was non-existent. <laughs> they yeah. relied on you solely to do everything. You had to do your research, find your own stylist, and then figure out how to put the wig on. And most times, you know, you'd spend hours literally on YouTube trying to figure out these tutorials and the wig still wouldn't look good on you. Cause a lot of these, uh, you know, tutorials are paid, you know, um, so you don't really know which one to go with and, and, and what's going to work for you. Uh, yeah. And you ultimately result to just taking the wig to a stylist, shelling out another 100 to $200 to have it installed, and then doing that every couple months. That is hectic. For a guy who's probably going to lose his hair in the future, <laughs> I didn't know about any of this. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> That's actually funny. But um, like what, what we do differently is, so of course our products are custom fit. So we um we we have a proprietary process that we use to measure the customer's head and our app would streamline that because it would take their um measurements virtually um and then we have uh we have a proprietary process that we use to um measure the customer's head um, and we'll we plan on streamlining that process uh through our application by taking their head measurements virtually so that actually really makes a big difference in making a wig look as natural as, as possible. Um, and then secondly, uh, and this is something that excites me about our application because it allows us to take all these points from a customer's face, their skin tone, their personality, even their social, just based on their social media profiles and actually custom create, personalize a wig just for them. So that you don't have that issue about trying to make a wig that was made for probably a mannequin to to fit you you know yeah and so walk us through like the procurement process i'm i'm kind of interested to know like did, did you know how to kind of create a wig ad per se and then combine all these aspects of you know the digital <laughs> aspect kind of going on but like walk us through the procurement process and how you learned about how to create a wig yeah, so it's really interesting because I listen to all these podcasts, like um, the uh, founder of Allbirds, um, they asked him, you know, like, did you go to school for fashion? No, like, did you, he literally had none of these skills. So um, I, and that's this position I found myself in. I don't know how to make a wig. Um, it was a lot of learning, ha having to be open. Um, one of the things that I did actually that was interesting is right at the beginning, I actually just took whatever was available. Um, I found a supplier that was just making wigs for other shops and, and I got a select wigs because my thing was I wanted to see, cause I didn't have money or, you know, the resources to go out and spend all this time researching. Right. Um, I didn't even have the ability to figure, you know, find the people who I would need to ask these questions. So I kind of had to go right out into the field and actually see how people would react to a product. So I took, a generic product that you'd find anywhere and 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 put it up and saw what customers or made improvements like i looked at it myself made improvements then i found um a workshop in asia that would uh because a lot of them won't do this but that would take all my nitpicky you know my really really detailed construction criteria and try them out for me you know they would make one improvement based on what i'd ask and then I put it out there and sell it and see what the feedback is. Maybe there was a feature that I included that really isn't necessarily, nobody cares. It doesn't make a difference. Maybe there's one that's absolutely crucial that it's missing. And so I found all that out to finally get to this final and current iteration of the wig that we have. But it took a lot of trial and error. 
um, trying things and then putting it out there and, and being very willing to hear customer feedback. Um, and sometimes it wasn't positive <laughs> and being able to take that constructively and make improvements, tangible improvements. Um, and I was very fortunate to have found a workshop that I contract who is willing to make the wigs at a small scale because they're still small yep. um, with such detail and, and, you know, with all our list of, of complex um, construction features. So that's, that's, that I think was, uh, was luck actually, because we went through a lot of really, really bad um, wig makers and suppliers and contractors. So. Yeah, no, I actually really like that because uh, if I think of like a tech or an app, at least per se, you go to multiple iterations and obviously go through feedback, but it's really cool to see it that you kind of applied the same logic in terms of the wig itself. So that's very unique. Yeah, like usually when you think of like a, like a tangible product, uh, you usually think, Hey, I'll go through one or two iterations, but you went through a full cycle of customer feedback, got everything going. And then you finally had like something that you liked and your customers liked. So I think that's yeah. really important for like listeners to know that uh, your first product is generally never going to be a success and make sure you always kind of get that customer feedback or at least from your users or your uh, individual target market um, and try to iterate off of that. And, and one thing too, I, I was forced to do it that way because I, I didn't have much money. Like I, I kind of yeah. had to constantly be generating revenue at every point so that I can keep funding the business, right? So um, that's also another way because a, a lot of companies, especially tech companies, they, they uh, kind of don't really have any revenue for a very long time. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, I mean, like literally I've had uh, investors tell me um, and mentors tell me like, just put something out there, even if it looks like trash, you know, yeah. you're going to find that one customer who's willing to try it out. So at least you can kind of go based off of that and then continue on. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like that quote, right? Your first, anything is going to be terrible, but you just got to start and you just got to put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I like that. I like that a lot, but so your app that you keep mentioning, it's called the muse. Is that right? Yeah, so the app doesn't actually have a name. It's it's funny. <laughs> oh, I, I, I saw Muse, but yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, okay, okay. We we call the AI Muse almost like how you'd call you know Apple's mm. uh, voice control Siri. Siri. Yeah, right. We call the AI Muse. So Muse is you know we refer to her as a person, like an individual. Okay. Um, but the application itself, we're still working on a name. So in the meantime, Muse is a good name. It's a it, we. It's okay to call it Muse. Okay. Okay. All right. So can, so can you talk to us about that and the development process mm -hmm. um, in terms of how how that's going and how that came about? Yeah. So again, once I started, like within like three months into selling, so I started selling these wigs on Etsy because all the wigs are handmade. Yeah. Um, and in most cases back then, I was actually. I partnered with salons and had the wigs, you know, salon guide as well. Um, so um, immediately I realized there was a lot of inefficiencies um, just in the industry in general. Um, and, and as I said previously, products alone, no matter how thorough or thoughtful or well-constructed it was, there was just inefficiencies that regardless were just getting in the way of a good product. Right. Um, and I needed to figure that out. So one of the things that I noticed was actually my biggest competitor is the conglomerate of wig shops. So not one specific one or brand, but all wig shops because they're local, um, they're close to the customer. You get to go in and touch and feel. And in this industry in particular, people are still hesitant to come online because you know there's a, there's a lot of perceived risk. So I wanted to mitigate that as much as possible, mimic that touch and feel um, and, and create an experience that actually surpass what you get in store. So our application um, is AI powered um, and we call our AI Muse. Um, Muse micro analyzes customer images, videos, their social media um, profiles, and then our internal data to create highly personalized hairstyles that would complement and enhance their skin tone, facial features, and even personality. Muse could go so far as to, you know, cater a hairstyle to your career or even, you know, your favorite celebrity. 
Um, and, and then you can actually virtually try on your hairstyle and purchase the one you'd like. And then we would recreate that design onto one of our wigs, physical wigs, and mail it out to you. That so we've combined. So cool. Yeah, so we've combined that virtual, again, mimicking that in-store experience and then taking it a step further and combining it with our existing product. Um, right now, the application isn't completed, but we're working on um, developing the algorithms that will run the AI. Um, that does take a bit of time because what you want to have essentially is a large data set. So uh, just keeping it simple to not get into too much detail because there's a lot of proprietary details. Sure. But like, for example, I mentioned skin tone and facial features. You know, there's a lot of various shades of skin tones, you know, and then facial features, face shapes, all those different things. So feeding our AI with all that data so that they can spit out hairstyle recommendations that really would look good on you in real life that you could actually wear um, and not just, you know, like a cartoon avatar or Snapchat filter yeah. um, is really, really important. We want to get that stage right because that's actually the foundation of the app. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's so cool. Like you, you wouldn't even need to see us physically to have our measurements taken or anything. Like I can send you a picture and it's, we're good to go. Yeah. So actually what you do is you take a picture or a video, you know, you just turn left, turn right so that we can just get a couple of angles mm -hmm. and, and use it actually take your measurements, your head measurements just from that um, so that we can get a more accurate um, measurement uh, than what we're doing right now, which is sending the customer a very, very detailed with pictures step by step so that they can do it. And right. with our application, we would do it through the app. Okay. So it's applying that ease and convenience uh, in your solution through the application. Exactly. It's essentially doing exactly what we're doing now, but just streamlining it, making it more efficient and making it customer friendly. That's the, yeah. Like when I was, when I was reading up on it, like my, my first thought was when you see like video game avatars, they're just like rotating and you're just like switching their outfits and their hairstyles. I'm like, that's so, like, this is real life now, you know? And that's literally what you, you're bringing to life with that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually funny because it's funny that you say that because my brother was telling me about, I think it's like 2K20, NBA 2K20 and how they have, you know, the, this, this thing that literally takes your face. He said it, it scans your whole face, takes like an hour to create this avatar that looks exactly like you. Yep. Um, and then you can play with it. It's, it's crazy. So uh, technology is come so far um, and it definitely is there. And I'm hoping to bring it to this particular industry first. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love that. And so you mentioned, um, obviously, it's still in development right now, but that's kind of like the direction that you're headed in. Um, so obviously, there's, there's still an introduction coming. But in terms of other capabilities, I think you touched on a few already in terms of, hey, like you can even figure out your future hairstyles and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. where else, you, you don't need to disclose too much. I understand you want to keep things, some things under lock, but where else are you looking yeah. to expand those capabilities? Yeah, so actually so many places. Uh, right now we're just focused on wigs, but we want to get into hair extensions. And actually it's really big right now. There's a couple of YouTubers circulating um, these videos where it's on men. They have these I don't know if they're toupees or wigs. It's funny because I don't even know what they are. And like, I should know. <laughs> and uh, they cut them and they look like so fresh. And I want to get into that. Yeah. Um, are, are they the ones that are glued on to your head or something? Or? I, I don't know because they actually don't show every single step of the process. I think they're trying to keep, you know, obviously so that, you know, they won't be copied. Right. Um, so there are certain things that they kind of just jump over. So you can't really see the entire process, but they show, you know, most enough. So I'm not exactly sure what they do, but um, they even have ones that are like beards. And I mean, it's, it's so cool what they have. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So I really want to expand the product line. That's one, just plugging my phone here or my computer. Um, two, I want to work on, um, I want to work on um, expanding the, 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 the general use of the product. So we can, there's so much that we can do in terms of film, you know, they, there's about $750 million spent a year on just the wig portion of costumes for movies, theaters, especially the high profile ones. Like think Khaleesi's wig from Game of Thrones, you know, right. 
Um, and she doesn't just have one. She probably has like 20, you know, yeah. um, of that same piece. And they're extremely high quality. You wouldn't even know that she's a brunette. She's not actually a blonde. Um, that's how good quality these wigs are. So there's actually a lot of room for streamlining their design process for those characters um, that we can build into the application. And then we can partner and we plan on partnering with bigger brands like Sephora and Sally's Beauty to set up the application as is in their brick and mortar stores, just so that we can still grab that brick and mortar customer. You know, there's always those who, you know, hold on tight. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, partnering with brands like Sephora really allow us to expand um, the demographic uh, that we can reach while also expanding their segment of the hair market because Right now, they dominate in cosmetics, but not so much as a hair care provider. So I really think that we could give them that advantage as well by uh, setting up a kiosk with our application in store so customers could go in, you know, play around with the app and, um, and purchase. That's amazing. Um, I think that's going to, that the future is bright, especially with this. I think um, even yeah. like, and I'm picturing like even in malls and stuff like that, where you go in and have the VR experience with video games, it's like, you can have a VR experience just for fun. You don't even have to make that purchase, but just to have fun with like different hairstyles and different looks and stuff like that. So. And um, that's, and that's one thing that I love about this because there's so much shareability in it. Like there's so much of it that you want to share on social media. Um, there's right. so much virality to it, you know, even just for fun. So exactly. Yeah. And that's where the casual, casual walk, walking by person is going to catch on to it. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so just dealing with that, like in terms of bringing something into the store so that consumers can kind of sit there and kind of go through these different options brings me to my next point of kind of what we're dealing with right now with the global pandemic. Um, has this, has the current situation affected you at all? Um, in terms of your business, and do you think I'll, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you start with that first? Um, it's been really interesting, actually. Um, so our our uh, our workshop is in Asia. So right off the bat, as soon as it started in January, there we were already having some supply chain issues when things were being closed there first. Um, well, not first, but sooner than us. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what to anticipate really until uh, things started to shut down and, and they started to tell us to stay home. I remember feeling extremely anxious, um, but something crazy happened. And this is when I realized that like, like I really have honed in on who my competitor actually is. Um, yeah. Our sales like skyrocketed. Yeah. And I was like, why are people buying wigs? It's not a necessity right now. And I, and I realized that it, it's because the, the brick and mortar stores are closed. Right, <laughs> they right. are coming online because they're forced to, right? Um, and a lot of them are staying and now are staying online. Um, so it was really, really fortunate for us that, you know, we were able to, um, you know, not just survive, but do so well, you know, in the first three months. But then our supply chain issues caught up to us. Um, and so we've essentially been out of stock. <laughs> for, for a couple months right um yeah so of course you know when you don't have stuff people can't buy things for sure. um but that's okay because you know the the first three or four months almost made up for it and then some um it would be one thing about saying you know no one's buying my stock but yeah. i'm out of stock totally so i guess i mean i guess that's a good excuse um but yeah so that's the effect it's had it 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 just kind of um just forced us to actually rethink our supply chain because it, it revealed a lot of uh, holes and problems that were already there that right. we just kind of were working around because we just didn't have the capital. So it really just made, it just brought certain things to light that again, like I said, were already there so that we can fix it um, just in general. Um, and, and then again, also made us realize that again, we know who our competitor is and we're correct and 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 they are the focus and this application in what it will address is correct and and even more so relevant now that um you have a lot of people moving online um so that they can still have that uh that virtual touch and feel experience for sure yeah and, and i think especially with the app capability i think the future is there for that so it, it, it's definitely a huge market in terms of bringing that that aspect of online 
in the beauty industry to life, um, which is kind of where I wanted to understand because your company actually recently won Shopify's People Choice Award uh, mm-hmm. because they recognize uh, like they recognize the market for this and they recognize kind of like what you're doing with this. So can you talk to us about what that means to you and, and, and the company as a whole as, uh, for having that award? Yeah, so uh, actually it's the Schulich uh, People's Choice Award. So this was the award that I won at uh, the Schulich Pitch Night. Um, oh, and actually- That's totally uh, my so mistake. I'm reading this wrong. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Um, so uh, I think there was like 700 people online because uh, it was a virtual pitch competition and they, uh, they voted and uh, you know, I, was, I came as number one. So that was exciting, um, extremely validating because one of the things that I really feel self-conscious about is uh, wigs, like nobody, it, like the odds of the audience that I'm speaking to knowing wigs, why it's relevant, why, you know, you should care is slim to none. Like it, it likely is that they have no idea. Um, and so sometimes I feel, uh, you know, really uneasy. Um, I, I, I almost feel like, you know, how can I present this in a way so that people who don't know will understand? So that's, it was extremely validating um, because to have, you know, 700 plus people, most of which have no idea, you know, how wigs work, uh, say that, hey, this, this is a great idea, um, really encouraged me. That's sure. awesome. That's awesome. And so now let's kind of like talk about building the actual online storefront and then, you know, in this case, like um, the experience that you've built. So walk us through like the typical customer experience and like how you've iterated over time based on, you know, feedback that your customers have given or some trends that you've noticed and how's the uh, storefront evolved since then? Um, yeah, so one of the things I actually started uh, selling my wigs on Etsy and right. mm-hmm. um, this is this is really funny. Um, Etsy actually made it. It actually was. I didn't even realize it, but it was like training wheels. The platform was so easy to sell on. Literally, I was spending two dollars a day on ads. Like literally. Yeah. And yeah. and that was even the max. Like I couldn't even go over that. But it was actually enough to make a lot of money um, with such a small ad spend um, because it's such a concentrated market and they tend to attract uh, a specific clientele, you know, people are there and they're ready to buy. You don't have to do much to convince them. Um, And then also we didn't have any issues with fraud. And I assumed that was because we were great, but it was actually because Etsy was filtering through all those orders. So we wouldn't even see them. Yeah. So when we moved to our own e-commerce site, all of that, (laughs) like, you know, spending, you know, even $50 a day on ads may not work. Um, you know, now you're not just competing with other Etsy merchants on this, you know, super specialized platform. I'm competing with the world, you know, that's yeah, right. like a different, yeah. a different, a whole different ball game, you know? Yeah. Um, so I actually started with big commerce. Um, it's an American company. Yeah. Um, the platform was, I, I liked their platform. They had a lot that came, uh, what they call out of the box. So just with your basic uh, plan, they had a lot of features that came with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't need very many apps for specific things like creating discounts or, you know, issuing store credit, stuff like that. But I just found that them being American, they tended to um, cater all their merchants, all their partners, everyone catered to American companies. They wouldn't even yeah. service us. So right now what's really big is uh, consumer financing. So, you know, you split up your payment into four. Yeah. You could not yeah. find a merchant that would work with us because we are in big commerce and we're Canadian. If they would work with big commerce, they didn't work with us because we were Canadian. If they work with Canadians, they didn't work with big commerce. And, and I was waiting, I think it was like a year and a half for them to, you know, expand these things and they never did. And I, and I realized that I'm probably losing a lot of money mm. um, waiting on these things. So I moved over to Shopify and honestly, I haven't looked back since um, Shopify's platform. And maybe this is coming from big commerce because I was extremely familiar with the platform and it was a little bit more on the complicated side on the back end. Um, but Shopify system is like, ex- like for me, at least coming from that, I felt like, Oh my gosh, this is like, 
like I can focus on, you know, the business because right. my website looks good because they had like a, you know, a theme that was packaged and ready that suited my brand. You know, there was a lot more that I could do in terms of editing my theme that I didn't have to hire a developer for. I've probably spent in the time that I've been with Shopify, maybe 1500 in mm -hmm. the almost two years and $1,500 on developer. Whereas before I'd spent like 15, like 10,000, I could say on wow, a developer yeah. with big commerce yeah. and my website still didn't look as good as it did before as it, as it does now, I should say. Um, so I, I am actually a huge advocate uh, with, of Shopify and it doesn't help that they, um, they asked us to, uh, well, they asked me to um, be part of their, their supporting independence commercial back wow. last fall. So they flew me to LA. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, we shot for a week, uh, stayed in this amazing hotel. Uh, they covered everything. Um, and then I got to be in this commercial that was, that's been shooting literally all over the world. There's been people who have been coming to the site. Like I saw you in a commercial <laughs> and it's, and it's so cool, you know? Um, and, and, and so I think that makes me really biased, uh, but I love <laughs> Shopify. <laughs> I mean, it's a Canadian company and we're kind of biased towards that too. So it's always good to support Canada, but I mean, ultimately it's a better platform for your business and the user experience in terms of building out that storefront was much easier. And like you said, you've never looked back. So, uh, now actually moving on to like the business itself. What are some of the key strategies that you've used online? Because let's face it, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the fact they can set yeah. up a shop, they can set it up, but now how do I get it to scale? How do I get people to come on my website and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some key strategies that you used in, in terms of uh, getting users to come to your website and grow your business? Yeah, one of the biggest things that I would actually recommend, probably the number one thing is... Um, you got to have a focus. I like, I, I'm a part of the Shopify entrepreneurs Facebook group. And so there's a lot of people who, especially now that are coming online um, and they're kind of just selling everything. They're yeah. selling a little bit of everything. They have phone cases and, and vegetable seeds and, and tables. <laughs> and it's like, why not? Why would I leave Amazon and, and shop with you? Like right. there's, there's no reason. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to look at as entrepreneurs who are starting an e-commerce store, this actually is what makes investors so anxious about investing in e-commerce mm -hmm. because it's like, well, Amazon could do it. Yeah. Are you doing something that Amazon couldn't do? Um, are you selling something that's unique enough that can't just be, you know, you know, copied in a Chinese factory and sold on Amazon? Um, so that's the biggest thing. Or if you're drop shipping from China, unless you're really focusing your drop shipping, I, I won't say anything bad about drop shipping. Wayfair is, you know, the largest drop shipping site in the world, you know. Right. Um, but they focus their stuff on furniture for your home. You know, it's very focused. So focus is number one. Focus on what it is that you're going to be selling. And it's better if it's something that you're passionate about because then it's easier you know, it's easier to get through the rough times um, because you're passionate about this particular thing. The second thing is I actually garden. Um, and it's really interesting to see the process of plants go from this tiny little seed, you know, to like, if you've ever seen a tomato plant, it yeah. gets massive, literally like eight feet tall, you know? Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> right. Um, in, in, in a lot of cases, I find that we might look at, you know, maybe Uber or Facebook and you look at a lot of these companies that you hear about often and it seems like they were overnight success. So you expect it to be that way as well. Um, and actually when you look into them, I listen to, um, the, how I built this podcast a lot and right. they talk about the, you know, their origin stories and they actually weren't, a lot of them were not overnight successes at yeah. all. A lot of them almost went bankrupt more than three times, um, probably even more than three, more than three times. Like <laughs> they've gone bankrupt uh, or they've almost been at the brink of, you know, complete failure so many times. And so I think that we need to get it in our mind that things don't happen overnight. Um, and actually, the the slower you build not to say that you should you know take forever there is there is a moderate level of speed 
But if you can lay solid foundations, like really, really solid, like really set them solid, um, there's a very high likelihood that you will succeed, make it through those slumps, get through, you know, that learning process, that learning curve, because there is a learning curve. Even if you do everything perfect, even if you have 500K today to put into a business, um, so finances are not a worry, there are mistakes that you will yeah. make. It's just the process. So um, really, really, um, one, uh, actually one entrepreneur said, you know, screw unicorns, build camels. Like camels can, can walk through the desert. They yeah. can, they can, you know, make it through dry, hot, you know, difficult conditions, you know, and, and, and they look the same as they did when they started, you know? So, so let's focus on doing things that way. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. And, and I really like that. There's two things, actually. One, obviously finding a product market fit and actually having value for your end consumer um, mm -hmm. and not just selling whatever's popular out there on Amazon or yeah. you see on Facebook and stuff like that. And yeah. two, and I think we've had this conversation on every podcast guest uh, we've had, is patience. There is yeah. such a lack of patience Absolutely. with our generation. And 100%. Yeah. One, one of the problems <laughs> is one social media has obviously falsified the concept of success yep. comes easy or it can yep. come easy. And we'll get to that in my next question after this. But um, <laughs> I think we really need to understand that business takes time. Like um, this mm -hmm. podcast is going to take time to grow. Your business itself is taking time to grow. You've been in business for... I yes. think over a year now. I mean, you're not going to go to like $5 million overnight. It doesn't work like that. Um, and you learn as you kind of go through as an entrepreneur, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. in terms of this context of get rich quick, uh, there's a lot of these Shopify <laughs> gurus, Amazon yeah. gurus that sell you a dream in terms yeah. of making a ton of money. And I think the target is specifically millennials or younger individuals that get into this whole concept of you can make yeah. a ton of money real quick so what are your thoughts on it and like break it down because you've been in e-commerce for over over some couple years now you said it takes time but let's kind of take their uh scenario and say is it actually doable yeah um <laughs> you know it's funny because i see these ads and i'm like I mean, you don't see, you don't see Elon Musk, you know, telling you how to build a company. Like he, he's made his money. If you really are making money from what you're doing, like you're not, you're not selling a course, you right. know, try to show me how to make money. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I'm a skeptic. So I always think that way, like, you know, if it's working for you, then why are you selling me this? Um, but one of the things that's really interesting is actually a lot of these gurus are getting, um, you know, exposed uh, the last yeah. couple months. A lot of people have been doing, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, YouTube videos and reviews um, about their reality. Yeah. That's the guy who yes. a lot of individuals. Yes, yes. I'm actually on a Facebook group and uh, they're constantly posting about this one particular guy. I actually don't even remember his name, um, but he's one of the, like, the main Shopify gurus. And um, I just, I think... Like I watched this Herbal Essence documentary on Netflix, okay. and uh, <laughs> I know I know right now. And I'm, um, I'm looking this up right now, but go on. <laughs> and um, they essentially said, you know, you tell this how you recruit people. Tell them you made you know ten thousand dollars last month. Yeah, you're faking it, but fake it till you make it because if you tell them then they'll sign up and then eventually you'll actually be making that ten thousand dollars and i think that's the that's how they operate you know they'll say the sales that they are making even though it's not true but uh if you sign up you know it will be true soon you know yeah. that that this is what they're making um so technically maybe I'm, i guess it depends on what you define as a lie but i guess in their <laughs> world that's really not a lie yeah um but I wouldn't bother. There's actually so many resources. Um, and I'm really glad Shopify, they've taken this seriously because a lot of these uh, gurus were peddling, you know, the crowd, the drop shipping that was like hand in hand with their strategy um, and Shopify. And, and that was really the core of that supporting independence commercial to really, to, 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 they chose specific companies that are doing really unique things. Like there was this one mm -hmm. particular guy, two in the ad, 
who makes guitars specifically for kids. And he makes it in, he used to make it in his basement. Um, you know, so they chose people with a backstory. Um, and I think that they're trying to, you know, gear their audience towards people with a backstory. They don't want people who are just, you know, in it for the money yeah. and, 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 you know, get rich quick because that's not actually how it works. When you get right. in here, you'll see that it, it doesn't work that way at all. Um, and so Shopify has so many resources. They have so many YouTube videos. They have, they have actual like vetted partners. They have, you know, Facebook groups. Uh, well, there's a one official Facebook group. Um, and even their support is so, so helpful. Um, there's no reason why if you're genuine, you, you cannot get free help. There's no reason. There's no reason why you need to pay for help unless yeah. you want to do something specific like ads or, you know, you know, your accounting, something specific you should pay for, but not for someone to, you know, set you up and, you know, tell you how to make it big, you know? So look for the free resources first. Yeah. And I actually just want to comment on one of those things there uh, with relationship to kind of splitting up your expertise um, and actually using resources outside of your expertise. Where do you kind of uh, draw the line there? Because, you know, with an online store, you're managing ads, you're all uh, maybe in your case, inventory, procurement, yeah. all that. So where's the separation in terms of, you know, I'm a, my core skills are this, I'm going to manage X, Y, Z, and I'm going to, yeah. um, you know give the other stuff to someone else yeah you know what it's been really really hard um for me because i just there are times where i just don't have like i need to choose between inventory or ads mm -hmm. um and if if you know in a good month i have money for both i don't have money to you know pay someone to do my bookkeeping so i have to do it myself you know right. um and i mean things have been better more recently but um for a long time it was like that it was really really like i had to do everything and i was really really tired um even now like um we're actually getting ready to uh pitch on dragon's den on september wow. 1st Amazing. yeah are we the first ones to know this uh officially yes officially Ooh. i've only shared it with my mentors um yeah well the, the reason why i haven't told anybody is because just in case it doesn't go well oh. like i i don't have to you know i don't have to follow up with how was it like i don't need to answer that because it didn't go well but um yeah so officially you guys are the only ones that i've told um but so getting ready for that and then i'm a part of an accelerator so you know you know getting the pitches together and then running the business and then last week I, or last month we were doing a photo shoot to expand a product line like i've been busy i also have two kids <laughs> and yeah. um i'm just there are times where i honestly want to run away you know just maybe buy a farm and just live a simple life <laughs> <laughs> like so overwhelmed um and it's like that for a long time one of the things i realized in the past i've worked in managerial positions but prior to within the same company, I worked entry level positions, maybe customer service. Yeah. Once I got to the manager position, there was so much understanding for the work that my, I guess, technically subordinates mm -hmm. were doing that it made me a better manager. There wasn't, there was tasks that I would help them out with um, that I understood what it meant to do this and how challenging it is and, and what they need to get it done successfully yeah. that made me better for it. So you know, the hope is that obviously you don't stay here because it's hard, man. It's really hard to do everything yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to be juggling so many um, equally um, important priorities. Um, but once you get to that stage, once you get past that, you will be better for it because of all that you have to juggle, everything you have to do now. So. For sure. Um, you said it all there and I, I feel like you're, you're a wizard here because you're bringing us to our next point because I wanted to ask you about <laughs> entrepreneurship and kind of understanding like um, understanding everything that comes with that right and like you just mm -hmm. explained it's not easy and, and, and it takes a lot out of you um, yeah. but it's that inner strength to keep pushing right so I got a quote of you off your website saying hey entrepreneurship is a key to female empowerment and especially black empowerment 
Um, so can you give us a little bit about how that's been for you in terms of your company and how that enabled that for yourself? Yeah, um, so my husband is in the military. Right. Um, and we move around a lot. So right now we're actually in a town called Deep River, Ontario. No one knows what that is. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I honest, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you can Google it. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> and um, prior to that, we were in another town called Cold Lake, Alberta. Um, and it's hard. It's been hard, um, especially, you know, I have a business degree. Um, I couldn't find a job in these small towns. There really isn't much industry, um, mm -hmm. especially specifically business. So. Um, I found it really challenging um, and I don't mind. I truly respect um, the role that women have to play in the home um, as wives, as mothers. Um, but I wanted something that would last longer than, you know, after my kids grew up and left because they do kids grow up and leave, you know, I, I grew up and left. <laughs> um, and, and I wanted something that I could have for myself. Um, so I found that this journey, especially specifically with e-commerce and this particular path that has so much flexibility for me, um, really allowed me to take a few aspects of my life that I couldn't control back into my hands. Um, right. And I find, and um, of course, not very many people will be in my particular situation, but uh, women in general, um, you know, black women, we tend to find ourselves in, you know, life just throws situations at us. Um, you know, really anybody doesn't have to be a black woman or a woman specifically. You get dealt specific cards in life that you just don't choose. It's really, I mean, if you had a choice, you wouldn't, you might not be where you are, right. um, but you are, you're there. So what are you going to do about it? Um, and I specifically find that um, women, um, and minority women tend to find themselves in those situations that are uncontrollable more often than not. Um, and being able to, if you can, go on the entrepreneurial path, entrepreneurial path, it allows you to take bits of control back. Um, yes. It boosts your confidence. It's encouraging. It makes you feel capable. Um, you know, you realize how industrious you can be. And even if you weren't industrious to start with, you become industrious, you know, you all these skills come out that you didn't even know you had, you refine all these tools, you refine yourself, you hone in on who you are, what you want. Um, and, and I think that's the exact definition of empowerment. I love that. I love that so much. And me, Amin and I talk about this all the time, because obviously we, we're still working uh, our jobs as well, but it's it, it's kind of like entrepreneurship is kind of our calling because we recognize that like when you work in that traditional place, it you're told what to do, right? You're told mm -hmm. how you can be good. Whereas entrepreneurship, it's like you just gotta learn it and yeah. you learn whatever you learn along the way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it brings all of that out of you. So I, I'm yeah. I'm I that was like I was sitting here being like, oh man, I should start working on something right now as you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> so. Like if you were to tell kind of the next generation um, of, of female entrepreneurs, uh, females of color, whatever that is, um, what, around entrepreneurship, what what would you what would you kind of what would you kind of how would you phrase that? Just tell them to go for it. Yeah, um, you may not have money, you might not have the support, uh, you probably don't even have a you know a solid or a refined idea, maybe just something that you feel, maybe, maybe a question that you have, maybe something you need answered. Give it a try. One of the things that I, I dread is regret. Like I would hate to look back and, and wonder how would it turned out if I tried that thing? I mean, of course you should try everything, but there are certain things when it comes to this journey, try it, try it. If you can try it. If you can save a, a, a couple bucks, you know, every week so you can put something together in three months so that you can try it out, just try it. Literally, you'll never know. And even if you fail, at least you'll know why. And if you decide you want to get back up, then you know what you did wrong and how to correct it. So just try. Just give it a try. Just for that lesson. I love it. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And one of the other things I wanted to ask you is the role of 
female uh, entrepreneurs who have been successful and their role as mentors. Um, often I find females are looking mm -hmm. for that uh, mentor, but um, a lot of a lot of times male entrepreneurs are glorified and they're the main ones yeah. and you can't yeah. really make the connection as a female founder to a male founder, I would say. So where are like areas um, where female founders can go to to meet successful entrepreneurs that are females and have done it? Uh, what are and what are other resources that they can use to explore that option? Yeah, I mean, right now there's there's so much um, available online. Like you don't even have to leave your house. Um, there are groups that are popping up, um, organizations that are putting themselves out there now that you know a lot more people, especially small business owners who have brick and mortar stores, are going online or they're taking a different route. Um, one of the biggest things for me, I try to connect with my local area. Actually, like we're so used to doing everything on social media. So you might meet yeah. someone who's so far away or whatever. Um, but I actually found that it was more helpful to find someone locally. So I actually had, when I first started, I had two friends who were also women. They happened to be black as well. Um, and they either had a business or were starting a business or working on a business right um and it just made it easier you know we might not always talk about business um we can talk about other things maybe that's exactly what i need maybe i need a break from the business and mm -hmm. i need to talk about something else um i just need to go out you know just relax um so i did find value in having um a you know like physical um you know like or local i should say in-person relationships um, looking for those um, similar minded people. And how I found them is, you know, specifically in my case, both of them happen to go to my church, but um, you could put yourself out there at, at any non-business related event. Um, something that tends to be geared toward women, if you have kids, are anything that has to do with kids. There's a lot of women there. Um, and a lot of them are trying to start something, or maybe they have an idea, or, you know, on I, I watch Dragon's Den and Shark Tank a lot, and a lot of these women who come together, they, they found them, the, each other, through something that they were doing with their kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's another place. Um, one other thing that I found extremely valuable, um, and this is as far away as you can get, uh, like I mentioned before, I listened to um, a lot of business-related podcasts, mm -hmm. and they, you know, are very intentional with trying to diversify, you know, people who they have speak. And so hearing these female, you know, entrepreneurs who have succeeded, you know, have very large companies, very big companies, um, even though I don't know them and they'll never know me, was very encouraging. It really, really did help because there isn't very many of us, right? So um, whether they're far away or close by, um, be open to learning from everyone's experience um, as long as you can get a chance to hear their story. And then one other thing is there are actually a lot of very understanding men, you know, male entrepreneurs, and there just happens to be a, a lot more of them, you know, who are successful just, just out of, you know, just the numbers, it's a numbers game. Um, and, and it's okay to ask them for advice. I've actually all, almost all of my mentors that I've had have been men and they gave me very valuable advice, extremely valuable. Um, and even so, because they're from the outside, you know, looking in. So um, I think there's value where you want to see value. Oh, I totally agree with that. And one part of um, entrepreneurship that is come a lot now is obviously venture capital and raising money for your business. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the st uh, stats I found uh, appalling actually is only 1% of all venture funds go towards black founders. Yeah. Um, and so what have your like personal challenges been with this when it comes to potentially raising money? Because um, it's twofold for you, especially as being a black founder, mm -hmm. but also a female founder. So describe the experience in terms of pitching in front of investors and what their approach is um, and your experiences have been. Yeah, it's been interesting, actually. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of what's been going on um, actually is, it actually has more to do with the industry 
that uh, I'm operating in more than necessarily me specifically, um, there's just this uh, almost frivolousness that comes into people's minds when they think of wigs. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, okay. okay. Maybe you, yeah. they might think of, you know, Halloween costumes. Like you don't take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not a business. So I think there's been a lot of that more um, on the idea. Um, and I think that happens to a lot of people. Uh, but um, one of the things that um, I would, that I found also is there being some very supportive, um, you know, investors who say, you know, a coach, like you're not telling your story and I happen to know it. So I know yeah. your story. You're not telling you're not emphasizing the parts that need to be emphasized, you know, that you're a mother, that your husband's in the military, you know, you're a woman. And especially with what's going on now, you're black. It needs to all be emphasized and showed. Obviously you don't say, Hey, I'm black, but put yourself out there, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a way that shows, you know, this is who I am. Okay. Um, so there's a lot more openness now. And I think with this black lives matter movement, there's just been openness where there wasn't before. Yeah. Um, so I think now is the time to try whatever idea you have. Um, if you're black, if you're a woman, if you were anxious about it, you thought nobody would take you seriously. Um, get into, of course, there are some people who won't take you seriously. Yeah. There, there are, there always will be, but um, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Um, even if it's your brother or a friend, that's that one encouraging voice, take that so that it can lift you up so you can try again and go at it again um and hone in on your story own your story own your challenges your your personal endeavors own it own it and and convey that in a way that shows your strength and the validity um if not in the idea in you yeah i think that's very important um when you look at a lot of venture capitalists and investment dollars they're actually investing in the individual first so that whole idea of you pitching the story that's kind of what they're selling. I mean, kind of buying into an early stage because mm-hmm. your commercialization strategy hasn't really maybe gotten product market fit or the distribution channels have not really commercialized or matured. And so they can't really assess whether or not that's going to happen or not. They exactly. can assess, of course, like you're a mother, your husband's uh, in the military, uh, you're working mm-hmm. your ass off in terms of getting this done. And yeah. on top of that, it's a unique product. So invest in me because this is my story and I'm gonna, and I, I also watch a lot of Shark Tank and uh, Dragon's Den and Sheriston does too. And a lot of them always have that sentimental story attached to it. Especially the female entrepreneurs, exactly. I really find that their stories are very, very powerful. Um, usually mothers mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, struggled with uh, something that's happened in their life, but they've come out on top. So. I think when it yeah. comes to investors, especially uh, venture capital, I mean, it's positive that it's starting to open up uh, towards minorities, uh, black founders, yeah. colored founders, <laughs> whatever it may be. But uh, the, also, the other question I had is like, uh, do you think by maybe having more VCs that are of color, maybe address and help this problem in terms of mitigating, say that 1% and maybe uh, growing that number in terms of the percentage of dollars, uh, out there for founders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, me, one of the things like if, you know, I, if someone buys my you know business and I have a hundred million dollars, I don't know, say tomorrow. Um, one of the things that I would do is actually start a fund and actually focus it towards women because I knew how challenging it was for me. So when you have more people who've been through a specific challenge, they have more sympathy for people who are going through that challenge. So it's hard to sympathize. I don't know why we're like this, but it's hard for us to sympathize with people who we don't really understand. Like we haven't walked in their footsteps. So that's why we need more female, more black, more minority investors, not because the other, the other people are not good enough or they don't care. Maybe you have a good idea or not, but, they won't understand the, the, the behind the scenes intricacies of, you know, what makes you, you, because they actually haven't walked, you know, in in your path. So I I really hope that more of us can, you know, you know, especially with COVID, I don't, I really don't know what, what to, what the future has in store, but I really hope more of us can, um, you know, get to that place where 
yeah. we can then invest in people yeah. who you know look like us and have been yeah. through the same experiences. And I actually really, really love that point because, uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to my boy, uh, Toby here, because he mentioned something, uh, the power of imagery as well. So he gave the reference of Michael Jordan, right? And mm-hmm. uh, Nike invested in him um, saying that, hey, uh, in his first year, I think it, he did like $126 million in sales. The mm-hmm. key concept there was they didn't, uh, Nike didn't invest in a, say, a campaign to sell to African-Americans they saw a successful black individual and it empowered mm-hmm. people to buy into that. Um, and mm-hmm. the same way where we kind of look at like VCs and in your case, for example, you said um, understanding that individual and how they've walked the walk and you can talk the talk. Like if I, us as three colored individuals, like we mm-hmm. probably understand each other's struggle a bit more. Yeah. If we were to yeah. maybe talk to a, a Caucasian person or a white person, um, there is that separation in terms of understanding sometimes. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that's, you're spot on with that. So uh, I really like that view. And uh, it's funny that there's more than one person that obviously has a similar kind of logic in terms mm-hmm. of that approach. Mm-hmm. That's Toby over yeah. at Shopify, by the way. Just yeah. clarify. Oh, okay. Wow. Because I, I, when you said Toby, I just, I was like, oh, okay, friend named Toby. <laughs> but wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and... And, and what's great is um, one other thing that people don't really mention much, and I guess it kind of gets, uh, you know, lost in the women and, and, and black and minority, but also immigrants. Like, mm. um, it's hard. It's hard, man. Our, our parents, they, they, they made a really challenging decision um, to leave their homes. Like, a lot of people think, uh, you know, a lot of people have very negative connotations or very negative, um, you know, perceptions of immigrants. I'm not going to get into that, but um, there are challenges, there are challenges, and we need more, uh, you know, first generation Canadians who have that understanding, you know, to, to, you know, be in this, you know, investment world to, yeah. to bring up others. Yeah. I'm almost on the fence with that. You know what I mean? Like I agree wholeheartedly, but I'm also like, it, it's almost that reluctance from, from the market to invest in those, in those demographics that puts that chip on our shoulder to make us want to be better. Right. So it's, it's, it's like a fine balance between those things, but yeah. It's true. And I definitely see that. I think, um, I definitely see that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I've been through that, you know, I, I remember some of my friends in school, they had no idea what I was talking about. Um, and it made me work a certain way, it made me do things a certain way. So I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I see that perspective. hundred percent. So that kind of brought us to uh, our, our questions around your business and, and your journey. But we, we like to end off with kind of like an impromptu uh, lightning round where we hit you with some questions, four or five questions here. And you have like <laughs> 10 seconds to answer. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. And um, just, just to kind of understand more of you and your personality and who you are behind the scenes. And uh, you can definitely use this as clips to woo the Dragon's Den crew when you go up there, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> all right. Uh, first question, something easy. Um, what is your favorite book of all time? If you had to pick. Favorite book of all time? Oh, Lord. No, I can't remember a single book. <laughs> um, come on. Let's make it broad. Favorite book or movie of all time? Oh, my goodness. You made it too broad. We have to narrow oh, okay. it more. <laughs> um, I was trying to help. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. Um, I was a really, really, really big fan of the Book of Negroes. Um, it's a Canadian author, actually. Really interesting story. Um, just, I'm a really big fan of, I, I don't like happy endings, you know. Okay. okay. Not realistic. <laughs> but it, it was like a book that had so many like unhappy endings and then like that one satisfying happy ending that was like, okay, I can go to sleep now. Wow. Fair, fair. I like it. You're like positive, but you're cynical. You're like, you don't like happy endings. (laughs) All right. So you've had a long day dealing with, I don't know, inventory and marketing ads and all this stuff. How do you come home and unwind? Oh my goodness. I come home and do more work. Uh, I (laughs) said it before. Yeah, Yeah, that's how I unwind. Um, I, I, I mentioned it before. I actually have a garden. And man, do I love being outside um, and just working on, on my garden. And if I'm not outside working on the garden, I'm watching gardening videos on YouTube. 
All right. All right. We love it. That's what I do. That's what I do. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Um, One question about the industry. In terms of the beauty industry, what is a company or trend or something that is exciting you the most right now? Um, Just any industry? In the beauty industry. Okay. Um, Beauty industry. Uh, I really love like like Fenty's Fenty Beauty. Um, They came out with this like, and it was revolutionary, you know? She had like, you know, 90, almost 100 shades. Um, so I, of Shades of Foundation, sorry. Um, and I love that inclusion um, of shades of colors, even mm-hmm. Caucasians, like there's lots of shades of, you know, pink and pale and nude and, you know, they have lots of shades too. And they weren't, their, their needs weren't being addressed. Right. Um, and so she came, Rihanna came and just kind of blew it up. And now a lot of people are following suit. You have nude undergarments, nude bras, or not nude, but like nude to each race's nude, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and you're seeing that a lot more. And I really, really like that because, man, it was so inconvenient before. It was just inconvenient, you know, trying to make a foundation work for your skin tone. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that issue, but um, I'm definitely yeah. appreciative <laughs> of, of what you did. <laughs> So lastly, uh, the question that we get a lot of heat for is related to food. So do you say yes or no to pineapples on pizza? Oh, Lord, no, no, no. <laughs> yes. That's, oh, man. <laughs> You're like in the 1%. I think me and almost really? 90, Yeah, most of our guests and myself love it, but you and I, I don't. I, I hate it. I, I would have actually thought we were the majority. Like, yeah. it's a ridiculous topping. Come maybe on. it's just our guest list thus far, but... Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe. We gotta, we gotta do an Instagram poll for this, you know? Guys, yeah, and then good. only choose the people who will say no. Yeah. <laughs> guys, no, interview it's the, on your show. It, it's the fine balance <laughs> between sweet and savory. You guys need it. You guys need it. Fruit doesn't belong on a pizza. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, technically... Tomatoes, but, but that's, that's uh, you know... <laughs> yeah yeah no no i understand i understand trust me (laughs) yeah for sure hey this was great we we got so much information out of this and and this was such a fun conversation i think uh what your company is doing is it's going to revolutionize a lot of things and i think you guys have a bright future and good luck with dragon's den 100 percent. thank you thank you let let, let us know when you get on because we'll be rooting for you and uh in the back and then we'll watch your episode for sure and share it too you know yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, if I do well, I'm going to let everybody know. <laughs> hey, just making it to that stage is, is yeah. a at some levels. So. It's true. It's so. true. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Well, I'm thank gonna... you guys. It was such a pleasure.